<laughs> Those are some good affirmations. You guys, as I get into my message this morning, I'll just warn you, um, I have been afflicted with the man cold for a few weeks now. And uh, so I, <laughs> I've told my wife, she's lucky she can't catch a man cold because it is far worse than any cold that she's ever experienced. <laughs> yeah, it's a baby cold. They said it's not a man cold, it's a baby cold. Okay, I'm done complaining. Okay, uh, you guys, uh, as a parent, one of the, I've discovered one of the best feelings, uh, emotions I've ever felt in my life, and uh, it's pride for my kids. Uh, it's pride for them. There's just nothing like it when I see them accomplish something special, when I see them make a good decision, that feeling that wells up inside of me, that pride for them, uh, it is a very special feeling. Uh, this last year, my son, Justice, he is 13 years old. He started playing football, and do we, we didn't have a picture of him, did we? Oh, wow. Just imagine uh, Goliath, and <laughs> like the, the kid is, the kid is, he is big. And uh, he started playing football. He towers over me, which, if we're honest, is not a very difficult thing to do. Uh, and he showed up to his very first practice, uh, and I could just see the look, the glimmer in his coach's eyes, right, when they saw him walk onto the field, this ginormous kid. And, uh, and they put him at left tackle, guarding the quarterback's blind side, and that's where he's been all season long. And in football, they have this thing called a pancake. Um, it's just what they call it when one player runs over another player and flattens them to the ground, right? It's, it's, it's a pancake. Uh, and let's just say when Justice plays football, he's hungry for pancakes. <clears throat> At his last game, the team, his team marched down the field and uh, they scored a touchdown and uh, they came running off the field and we're watching on the sidelines and he runs up to his coach, and his coach starts pouring something in his mouth. And we're like, what is, what is going on here? Uh, and we look a little closer, and the coach is pouring maple syrup in Justice's mouth because he got so many pancakes, right? And very Canadian. Uh, it's a very Canadian league. Justice got a lot of pancakes that game, and so his blood sugar was pretty high by the end of the game. Now, now, Justice might be this big, strong, uh, offensive lineman that kind of scares his dad sometimes. Uh, but I do remember when Justice was a toddler who loved to run around the house naked dancing to Katy Perry's firework. There's video evidence of that, but we can't show you that today at church. He used to do this thing as a kid. Uh, and this is 100% true, where when he would get in trouble, he would pretend to be a cat. Like, he would fully commit to the whole thing. He'd purr and walk on all fours and, like, lick his paws. And he would only do this when he was in trouble, like when he knew he had done something wrong. And because he knew that it would be hard for us as parents to discipline a cat. He's so smart. He's so, so smart. And he was right. He got away with a lot of stuff pretending to be a cat. But this is a discovery that we make very early on in our lives. Most of us will make this discovery very early on in our lives. It is that if we modify our behavior in certain ways, 
we will be able to secure the love, affirmation, or agreement of other people. Now, this isn't totally a sinister thing, right? It's important for us to learn self-control. But the discovery that we can earn the love or affection of others by presenting ourselves in a more flattering light can be dangerous. In the pursuit of affirmation, it is possible to start presenting a false self to the world, a pretend self to the world. And this is dangerous because the longer we allow our identity, identity to be shaped by the affirmation or disapproval of others, the greater the divide becomes who we tr- between who we truly are and who we present to the world as we are. And even worse, the greater the divide becomes between who we truly are and actually who we even think we are. That divide can grow. And we can begin to believe things about ourselves that are not true. You know, I don't know what your life was like, but maybe your parents didn't tell you they loved you enough. And you grow up feeling like you're unlovable, right? Maybe you had a terrible performance review at work. I've had a few of those in my lifetime. And maybe because of that, you kind of think you're useless or no good bad at your job. Maybe your kids aren't living the life that you had hoped they would live, and because of that, you feel like maybe like you're a failure as a parent. And these lies about what we believe about ourselves drive a wedge between who we are really and who we think we are. These lies we believe about ourselves are dangerous. And I believe that this attack on our identity, and I'll call it an attack, is one of Satan's main tactics that he uses against us. Now, I don't like to give Satan much credit for anything, okay? But the truth is, he hates us. The devil hates us. And there is a world of sentient evil that wants nothing for you but your total and complete destruction. They're the enemies of our souls. And this is what Jesus said about Satan. He said, when he lies, it is consistent with his character, for he is a liar, and he is the father of lies. Satan is a liar, and he lies to you. He tells you that you are worthless, that you should be ashamed of yourself, that you were a mistake, that you'll never amount to anything. And if we are not careful, then we will begin to believe these lies about ourselves. And we lose our identity as people who have been created in the image of, of our Creator, and take on an identity of something that's less than that. You see, at the beginning of the universe, when God had finished making humanity, like any good artist, he took a step back, and he looked, and he surveyed his work, and you know what he said when he looked at us? He said, I did a good job. He liked what he had done. He liked what he had created. You are made in the image of your Creator. You are a masterpiece of a master craftsman. You are the good work of a good God. This truth is at the center of your identity. But those lies creep in. They distort this simple, profound truth. Now, David Benner is a Christian 
author, his writings focus on the area of caring for your soul, or as we call it around here, soul care. Uh, and David is convinced that self-hatred, that is hating yourself, is the dominant sickness that cripples the Christian church and prevents us from going deeper and understanding Jesus and the Holy Spirit more. And he is committed uh, to help Christians discard these lies that we believe about ourselves and embrace the view of God that God has of each one of us. Uh, today I'm borrowing some thoughts from his book called The Gift of Being Yourself. We actually have 10 copies of this book in the lobby available for purchase if you'd like to purchase it after the service. And let me tell you, and I, I can't say this strongly enough, this book has literally changed my life and the way I see myself, and the way I feel about myself. And it's helped me to discover the way Jesus sees me. And so I'd encourage you, it's 25 bucks. We don't make any money on that. That just covers the cost of what it was for us to buy it. But if you're interested, it's an easy read. It's powerful. It could change your life too. And it's available in the lobby after the service. But this is what David, this is a quote from his book uh, where David says, talks about the problem of losing our identities as a person made in the image of God. He says, my ability to realize my potential as a person made in God's image, seems to be sabotaged by some inner agenda over which I have no control. This is an important part of what it means to be a sinner. What David is saying is that we live in a broken world where sin has left its mark. Evil has been given power to work because of our rebellious hearts and our identity as image, as being made in the image of God is constantly under assault, the evil of this world wants to condemn us. And the only way to combat this evil, to, to right this lie, is to embrace the truth of Jesus, is to look to Jesus and what he thinks about us. Paul said this, there is no condemnation for those who belong to Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus when Jesus looks at you, he does not condemn you. When he thinks of you, it was, is with grace and charity. He loves you. And this is why genuine self-knowledge, knowing yourself, knowing who you are, thinking rightly about yourself, begins by looking at God and noticing how God is looking at you. How is God looking at you today. Not at your pretend self, right? Not at your prettied up self that you present to the people around you. Not the pretend self that you wish you were. How does God look at you right now, in this moment, exactly as you are? Paul's a smart guy. And he wrote this, he said, God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were still sinners, Paul was, he was a bad guy. He knew this truth deeper than any one of us. He had done a lot of bad things in his life. He was responsible for the persecution and the murder of many Christians in the first century until Jesus grabbed a hold of his heart and he discovered that even Paul, even this man who murdered so many could find redemption and hope in Jesus. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for the real you, 
He was resurrected for the real you. He loves the real you. And his divine love is absolutely unconditional, unlimited, and extravagant. One of my favorite people in all of history is the disciple Peter. Uh, he's one of Jesus' uh, original disciples. Uh, he's an OG. Is that what the youth say? He, he's, and I can't. I can't. Peter was OG. Uh, original gangster Peter of the disciples. Man, my kids are cringing hard right now. Uh, he was a confident man of action. He was passionate. And, and if you've been joining us at our watch parties, our chosen watch parties on Friday night, it does a really good job of showing Peter in this light as a man who, who, who acts first and maybe thinks later. Um, Peter was the first one, one of the first people to follow Jesus. Uh, when all the other disciples saw Jesus walking on water, Peter was the only one who got out of the boat to go to Jesus. Uh, Jesus uh, Peter was the first one to, of the disciples to acknowledge that Jesus was probably the Messiah. It's then that Jesus told them his purpose, that he was going to be part of building the kingdom of heaven on this earth. When Jesus was arrested the night uh, before his death, Peter was the only one who pulled his knife out to try to defend him. Whether he was right or wrong, Peter always acted. He did. He was a man of action. But something happened to Peter. Something happened that made him doubt himself. When Jesus was taken into custody, Peter knew his own life was in danger as a follower of Jesus. And when people began to ask Peter when he was hanging out, when Jesus was uh, being tried, and when he's hanging out in the quarry, or people began to ask, Why aren't you with Jesus? Peter denied ever having known Jesus. He said, I've never met the man. Three times Peter denied knowing Jesus. And it broke his heart. And it messed something up in him, this, this, this betrayal of himself and of his friend, Jesus. And Matthew would later write that after Peter realized what he had done, that he went, went away and he wept bitterly. He was broken. He was ashamed. This courageous man of God, Peter, who acted before he thought, was reduced to this broken shell and a lie began to develop in Peter's heart. Maybe I'm not who Jesus said I was. We know some of the story from there. Jesus was tried. He was executed. He was resurrected. And for 40 days, Jesus kind of a, uh, was ethereal and would meet with, uh, you know, reveal himself to his people, but he wasn't always there. For 40 days, Jesus was kind of in and out, instructing them and encouraging them. And instead of doing what Jesus had instructed him to do, Peter, to be a fisher of men, to build his church, Peter went back to his old profession. Peter went back to fishing. Instead of fishing for men, he was fishing for fish out on the lake. He's not the same person he was once. His confidence has been rocked. His passion has faded. This lie that maybe he's not who Jesus thought he was is taking root deep in his heart. Jesus decides that he is not content with Peter believing this lie. 
And so he finds Peter and the others out fishing on this lake. And he builds a fire on the beach and he cooks them some breakfast. And then once he's done cooking, he gets their attention and Peter realizes that Jesus, his friend, his savior on the shore. And Peter jumps. He doesn't bring, wait for the boat to come into shore. He jumps into the water and swims out to meet Jesus. And then they, they sit on the shore and they eat together. And, and this is what John tells us happened at that meal. John tells us, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, Peter replied. You know I love you. And then Jesus told him, then feed my lambs. And Jesus repeated the question, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Yes, Lord, Peter said. You know I love you. Then take care of my sheep, Jesus said. And a third time, he asked him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was hurt that Jesus asked this question a third time. And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, then feed my sheep. Three times Peter denied Jesus. And three times Jesus reminded him of the truth of his identity that Jesus really did love him, that Peter really was who Jesus wanted him to be, that Jesus helped Peter replace the lie with the truth. Peter's knowing of both God and his own self underwent a radical change because he was able to see himself the way God saw him. It takes a profound conversion experience to accept that God is relentlessly tender and compassionate towards us just as we are, not in spite of what we are, just as we are. Now, in two weeks, we're going to be hosting a, a conference here called the Holy Spirit Encounter. It goes Friday and Saturday and a little bit of Sunday afternoon, and we're bringing in Doug and Terry Balzer, some speakers uh, that we had up here two years ago for a soul care conference. And uh, I'd encourage you to sign up for that conference. It's going to be incredible. And uh, I was at a soul care conference with Doug and Terry Balzer and Grant Perry a few years ago. And uh, Terry was talking about deep emotional wounds and how these deep emotional wounds that you, everybody kind of suffers can generate a, a loss of identity or create lies that we believe about ourselves. And I got to be honest, uh, I was only half listening to Terry. I felt like I didn't have that sort of problem in my heart or in my mind. Uh, and then uh, I wasn't hurting. I didn't have these, this baggage that, that she was talking about. And as she was talking, she went on to say something that sometimes when it comes to these lies or these wounds or these hearts that we carry with us, it can help to go back to the scene of the crime, to the, to the moment those things happened in our life, and ask just a very simple question. Where was Jesus when this lie began? Where was Jesus when this hurt first started? And you guys, I was not paying attention, but in that moment, the Holy Spirit grabbed hold of me. And my heart began to beat faster and the hair on my arms stood up and suddenly a memory came rushing back to my mind. It was the day of the Horse River Fire here in Fort McMurray. And on that day, I was working with my four-man crew, working as hard as I could to, to stop the fire from crossing Thickwood Boulevard from 
with Buffalo into Dickens Field, and and uh, it was difficult. I was doing my job, and 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 it, I was doing it as best as I could. And and long after that fire was extinguished, long after we came back to Fort McMurray and started rebuilding, long after all those things were in the distant past, something began gnawing at my soul. Something began. I realized that something was wrong inside of me. And in the months after that fire, I began to feel a deep sense of shame. During the evacuation, my boys were obviously terrified, like all of us were. And my wife thought that maybe she would never see me again. My family was in a crisis, and I was not there for them. It's a dad's job to take care of of his children when they're afraid. It's a husband's job to be there for his wife and support her. But my wife had to do it all by herself. And when my family needed me most, I wasn't there for them. And in fact, my closest friends, men in my life, stepped up and took my place. And I'll be honest, a deep sense of resentment grew in my heart towards these men. Matt Manili, he you know him from YWAM. He helped my family evacuate that day. I'm not sure where Adrian would have ended up if it hadn't been for Matt. Mike Sotsky, my close friend in, in Edmonton, he opened his doors, and that's where my family spent the first night. And five or six days into the fire, my brother Nathan I got, sent me a video. He had taught me how to ride a bike. Just another dad thing, right? All these things began to weave together a story and a lie in my heart that I was a bad dad. That I was a bad husband. That I was a, not a good man. And so here I am at this soul care conference, acting like I don't have any wounds or lies about myself I need to deal with. When Terry asked this question, where was Jesus? And instantly in my memory of this terrible day, that has been dragging me down and hurting my heart ever since. Instantly in my memory, I see me fighting the fire. I see my family escaping in our minivan. I see Jesus in the van with my family. In that moment, overwhelming peace washed over this deep, dark hurt in my heart. And a lie that I was telling myself was broken and replaced with the truth. that Jesus loved me. And I was a good man. And this hurt that had been dragging me down, holding my feet to the ground, was, was released. Oh, how our lives can change if we only see ourselves the way Jesus sees us. Now, as I close this morning, I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to take communion and spend some time worshiping together as we close the service and and it's a communion, it's something that we do every Thanksgiving together here at Fort City. Communion is a meal we share together. It's not a very substantial meal, but it is a meal nonetheless that we share together to remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us. It's a table set before us where Jesus has promised to meet us, where we can experience his grace and his love fresh and new every time. But before we take communion this morning together, I want to lead us through 
spiritual exercise. Now, at Fort City, we don't believe that God, that Jesus, is confined to the history books. Jesus is alive. He is working. He is moving. Even now, He continues to lead and to guide His people. The Holy Spirit right now is in this room, is in each one of us, moving and working. And so I want us to create just a moment, some space, some time, some silence for the Holy Spirit to minister directly to each one of us. This morning, I believe that genuine self-knowledge begins by looking at God and noticing how He is looking at us. So I want to guide us through a few questions together and invite Jesus to speak to us. Okay, don't be afraid. It's not super weird. It's just simple. And if you'd like to do this exercise with me, I'm going to ask you now just to close your eyes wherever you are. Now in your mind's eye, in your imagination, I want you to try to picture the face of Jesus. Now I know we don't know exactly what he looks like. That's not really that important. I want you to try to picture his face. Use your sanctified imagination to picture the face of Jesus. Now let me ask you a question. How is he looking at you right now? What is his expression? How does how he is looking at you make you feel? Do you feel shame? Do you feel condemnation? Do you feel like he's frustrated with you? Those are lies. He is not. It isn't true. There is no condemnation for those who belong to Jesus. How is he looking at you? Is it with forgiveness in his eyes? Is it with compassion? Is it with affection? Love, is he proud of you? Do you know that you are a child of God? That you are accepted as you are? That you are chosen? In these moments, let these truths replace any lies that you believe about yourself. But the way he looks at you change the way you look at yourself. Jesus, I thank you that you love us. That you care for us. I thank you that each and every one of us is fearfully and wonderfully made. And that yes, we are broken. Yes, we sin. Yes, we struggle. Yes, we do things all the time that we shouldn't do, that you don't love us in spite of our sinfulness, but you love us just the way that you are, that we are. And Jesus, I pray this morning, if we're in this room, whether our lies that we have told ourselves about who we are, that Jesus, those strongholds be broken by your spirit right now in this moment, that they'll be washed away into the sea. the work of the enemy would be 
abound in these moments. And that Jesus, where those lies once existed, will be replaced by the truth of how you see us and how you feel about us, that we are your children, that we are your good creation, that we are loved, that we are chosen, that we are accepted, that we are not perfect, but we are yours nonetheless. Holy Spirit, solidify this truth in each one of us.